Yeah. Okay, our introduction to Perm in the Megillah, besides the one we had a few minutes ago. I will begin with something we began discussing last week and the week before, and you will see why it's the first theme we should be speaking about. Megillah's Esther and Perm is all about the Yad Hashem Benister. So I want to start off with the Kasha, all the way back to the Mon and Parshas Bashalach. It's not the copy in front of you yet, but you're all familiar. The Pasik said there was a Tzivoy to put the Mon in a vase of sorts, Senes Haman, and we, I think we spoke about this a couple weeks ago. I had one guy at the uh, Perm Suda once who was a little bit drunk, and he kept on asking me why they put Haman in this in Senes Haman, and they put him away. So I, I tried to convince him otherwise. It didn't work. Uh, but the, he was Nibo Yada Masha Nibo because there is actually a connection, as I will describe. So I don't remember. Did we, did we begin discussing this a couple of weeks ago? Okay. So I had it on file. And there's, a, there's an obvious cash over here. Rashi explains the mitzvah here. Mitzvah itself doesn't need the explanation. They were told to put it in a vase and hold it with the national treasures with a mata iron and it was put next to the iron. Very choshev. And it should be l'dar ezeichem l'man yiru esolechem esher achalti eschem b'midbar. And there should be an edus that you lived b'derech neis in the midbar. And man is hard to believe. We're just used to it. Used to the concept, but food rained down from Shemayim. That's a quite an unusual concept, and the food tasted fresh, and it tasted delicious, and whatever you wanted, except for watermelons and cucumbers and whatever, whatever is not healthy, saturated fat, whatever it was, and Lamaisa, it was put away to show, look at what HaKadosh Baruch Hu did in the Midbar. Rashi says, in the word L'Darius Echem, Rashi points out one time in history, it was always on display, but display is a matter of reference because it was inside. There were times they could see the Kruvim, so people could see it and learn the Musa, and they knew it was there. One time it was actually taken out and showed to the people to give them Musa, and Rashi talks about that one time. would give them Musa. Why aren't you people learning more? Okay. So right away, and we're going to try to explain this, uh, we just finished Lachem Beis. Of all the times in Pleistolcissi, Yirmiya Novi, who we know, the whole Sefer Yirmiya Malachem Beis, it's all about Musr for Klai Yisrael, you better give in, and you got to do Tshuva, and if you don't do Tshuva, you got to give in, and if you don't give in, there are more casualties, and very little work, than Sitkiel was captured and blinded, and they went into Gullus. That's We just had that two weeks ago. And Rashi says the only time it was actually used and taken out, sounds like it was taken out, shown to Klai Yisrael, was in the time of Yermio Anavi. So that means this is the end of Bias Rishon where everything was falling apart for a while already. And he said, you people should be learning more. And their first line of defense, no, you ask anybody want you anymore, what's the first line of defense? So never say I'm not in the mood. That's not a defense at all. And never say, I don't know how to learn, because that's not a defense at all. Because everybody knows how to learn something. 
Today, there's no excuse. You read English, Hebrew, Spanish. Can you listen to Shirm? Can you watch Shirm? There's no excuse. So, what was their excuse? So, the first and last line of defense usually is, It's the God I work for a living. Okay. Working hard. And, indeed, most people work hard. We're going to have food from. So, Yemio sort of anticipated that answer and didn't accept it. And he said, well, I have something to show you. He took out the man. In this Navu, he didn't say Shimu Dvar Hashem. Usually that introduces the Navu. He said, Ru, listen, but watch and look and see what Hashem left over for you so you could see that you don't have to work that hard. Ru, in the Midbar, they were learning a lot and they didn't have any problem. The rain... Uh, the dew brought with it the man, So, don't overwork. Now, it's clear the man ended when they went into Israel. They went into Israel, they had farms and vineyards, and they had to work, and it was seasonal, and it wasn't all day. When it got hot, they went inside and went back to the best measures. Yemiel knew that, and he was showing them that just like the man, he's a Pashat in the Rashi, just like the man was an ace nigla, and they didn't have to do any work, that the man and the clouds did their laundry as they were wearing it, which is really a time saver. Uh, you don't have to go anywhere. And the shoes grew with them. And uh, that the Be'er Shamirim, there's mamish nothing to do but learn. And Jeremiah, of all people, is showing them this at the time when they were overrun by all their enemies. The country was destroyed. The Sassashvatim went to Gullahs. And they were talking very poor, if you remember, even after Chizkiyo Amelech. At that time, they were under siege all the time. It was fair. Parnas was very fair. And that's Dafkam when he's giving them Musa. Why? So, in the context of what we just finished in Malach and Bez, he was trying to generate more Schusim because he wanted to avoid the Horban. And he said, yes, I understand it's harder now. The economy is in shambles, and you can hardly make ends meet. And here's where you really got to be messing average and learn anyway, because otherwise we're not going to get out of this mess. It's going to be a spiral downhill, and we're going to have a Corbin. That was his pitch. I think that's why it was Dafke Yemi, the only time, it's the only example Rashi has in history. What was the rise? He took out the man. So why didn't somebody say, with proper respect, of course, with all due respect, when somebody ever tells you, with all due respect, you know you're about to be insulted, right? So... Uh, so, why did they say, Rebbe, in good times, that was difficult. Here, your mamish can't, uh, every time he grows something, the enemy comes and takes it, we can't pay the bills. So, they didn't say it. I don't know what they said. Maybe they did say it. It's not brought down here in Rashi. What's the right from the man? The man was an ace nigla. So, the first thing is the famous Ramban, at the end of Parshish boy. This Ramban should be uh, blown up and put in everybody's fridge. At least this paragraph, certainly. Ramban says, Yesoid for all of Chumash. We're talking about all the Nisim and the flaws. We're going to talk about this in Adar and Nisim. Ramban says, Nisim Hashem doesn't continue to do Nisim like this every generation because the famous Mashal with the world's famous violinist and the six-year-old kid has heard that he knew how to play the violin. He says, I don't believe you, sir. He says, is he going to start playing for the five-year-old kid who doesn't believe him? If he does that, he's not going to get anywhere. 
you can't keep playing. Kosh Baruch Hu did the Nisim in front of the whole world, in front of three million Yidin, and turned over the mightiest empire. And throughout 40 years, gave them mon and uh, bear and flattened out all the mountains and all the snakes and the scorpions were gone. The aside is to take the history of the Nisim and understand that the Nisim is still going on every single day, but they're a nice nister, which is what Perm is all about. And you can bring a raya from the Nisim Gedalim. It's a very strong statement. Everything that happens to us, Shakulam Nisim, Ain Bahem Teva, Umin Hagashulam, Bain Berabim Bem Yachid. After a certain point, we never had the Nisim like by Sisis Ram in the Midbar, and it's Israel, they still had, but they're still Navian. At the end of Bayas Rishon, after that there was no Nez Nigla. They had three Navim, they needed to build Bayashani, you needed Navi to build Bayashani. But already Perm between Bayas Rishon and Bayashani was incredible. Breathtaking, but it was all an ace nister, and you have to read it from beginning to end and have 20 20 hindsight to understand what's going on. So the Rabban says you have to take the Nisim Gluim and bring it as a Raya that, yes, here's this Insanus Haman, and that was an ace Nigla. So what's the Raya I'm trying to make upon us? So the answer is the Panas you make now is an ace every single day, and you have to understand that the Yad Hashem is giving you the ace. So if you're doing your proper Stadlis, you don't have to overdo it and learn less. That was the message of the Mon and the message of Yirmiyah. Yirmiyah wanted to capitalize on it then because they needed desperately more Zchusim and Mysterious Nefesh to avert the Chorban. Ramban continues, And everything is kept with an exact Cheshpun and enough is there to confuse everybody. That's the test in Bitochen. But the Ramban says everything that's going on on a level of each yachid every minute of the day is a nice nister, and you have to look for the Yad Hashem. So that's the first introduction. The Megillah is all about reading it very, very slowly and carefully to understand. We know the basic plot, but if you go very slow, you'll see how many Nisim Nistarim were there just in the first parak to set up what's going to take place later. And the training over here is this not only for Klai Yisrael, this is for Yechidim as well. Uh, the Bir Agra, the parish Lagra on Megillah, points out many of them. It's a relatively concise parish, like everything else in the Gra, but there are many beautiful Sfarim written, pages and pages on each line of the Gra. One of the many Perushim and the Malbim, and the, there's so much. We're just going to, again, over the next three weeks, I'm toying with the idea next year Perhaps if we start at the beginning of the season for 16 weeks, leading up to Perm, we'll be able to make a dent, at least on a parak like we do Navi. We'll do it thoroughly. So I'm toying with that idea. I've uh, just got um, people wonder after Sukkot why we're starting Megillah, but it's only a four-month season. Uh, so we just have to sell it properly. But I think it might be a good idea and very exciting. The guy says that there are many Midrashim that allude to the fact that Shushan Abira Shiloh, was that the original capital? It certainly moved from Bovel. Why was it there? There's a very interesting measure that uh, it's like Gamara says. He was, he was making that the seat of the capital. Why is that an important place? So one of the many things in his tremendous gaiva that Achashverosh did is he always wanted a throne like Shlomo Melech. Never been replicated. And he had artists starting to work on it and they built it and they had all sorts of 
Shlomamels had they couldn't replicate that. So he wanted to use all the technology of the day to simulate something. And they built and built, and he had all the king's wise men and, uh, working on it. And they finally built such a monstrosity. It was so heavy and so complicated, they finally finished after many years. And uh, he said, okay, well, now can you move it to the capital? And they said, Your Highness, we can't move a thing. The whole thing's going to break. Okay. So only Ahasuerus can now move that's like somebody building something for the president in Wyoming, and then he can't move. He says, well, Washington, D.C. was nice while it lasted. Why don't we move the capital to Wyoming, which would be very inconvenient for many people. Uh, maybe a good fresh start, but very inconvenient. So why did that whole thing take place? So the guy says, Posh it. The Posh introduced. There was an Ish Sadik who lived in Shushan. <laughs> And he's very integral to the story. So HaKadosh Baruch engineered that the whole seat of the Malchus moved to Shushan because Mordechai is not to play a role. Everything is always like that. You just don't see it till afterwards. He points out, and this will get back to the second thing we touched upon. I don't know if I gave out. The one you have is on a frame? Okay, we'll get to that in a moment. He points out that the, the Gemara asks, Estimate a Terminayin and Anachiastir. What, what was the Kasha? We have a Haman Terminayin also. Each one's to point out a different thing. What, what was the question by Esther? We have many Tzadikim and Sadkanis throughout history. What, what's bothering them, Estimate a Terminayin? The answer is, is that this is the first time in history, because after Chorban Baisrishan, we're not Zeich anymore to Nes Nigla. So where do you have Yisoy, especially in Chutzlars? Maybe there's no Nisim Chutzlars. Maybe we're not worthy. Shem will still keep us as Christ. But how do we know we're supposed to be looking at this, tracking it, and figuring it out? So estimate the time and I there's going to be Hestapanim. And our job is to see the Yad Hashem and gain the Bitachon, the Amuna, and the allegiance that we need to keep going further. And the guy says that's why the Gemara is trying to address where do you see him occur for this? And Esther herself had the same shadow. She wrote up Megillus Esther. And she asked the Chum to put it in Tanakh, and there was a discussion. It was the very end of the Kufa, we're finishing off Tanakh. Most of Tanakh is Terah, or Nevi'im, who were getting the Devar Hashem directly. Daniel also had, and we have dreams there, he interpreted, and then you have Ezra Nechemia, which is summing everything up, Al-Pi Ruach It's the very end, so this is the same Kufa, you have Ezra Nechemia, and then Daniel was right before, and now you have Esther, and then it's closed. So there's a debate whether to include this. And because of these rayas, that this was part of the plan, and this has to be included because it's the same Aveda, as Ramban says. You have to bring a raya from the Nez Niglitz and Nez Nister, but we should have a Sefer in Tanakh that shows us, if you follow it, what a Nez Nister might look like. And for those who aren't patient, it's uh, trying. Because we'd like to think... The Megillah says, yes, most people, they never learned to be in. How long did this take from the end to end? You start off with a big party, and then there's a and then they were saved. Was it over a day, a week? Well, Try uh, like a decade, roughly, give or take. That's a long time to wait. The passage at the beginning says, Mordechai has this intuition, we'll get back to that probably next week, that Esther was taken, never kidnapped. It's a tragedy, and it was a tragedy. Well, it's got to be a good reason. We're trying to get her out. It's not working. It's got to be a reason she's here. So we'd like to think in a perfect world. There's got to be a reason. Yes, we're going to have a betochen and Yad Hashem. It's got to be a reason. A simen min shamayim. So Pusik says, Mordechai's pacing out in the thing. Well, pacing for a long time. 
It took a decade to find the answer. A decade? We're not really set up for that. A decade? We wouldn't survive 10 hours. The Mordechai knew. Part of this is that you have to see the Yad Hashem. Sometimes it, you have to look back after a week, after a day, after a decade. Sometimes Achamev Esrim. But that's the training of the Megillah. Let's go to the copy in front of you and we'll tie in the other item that we left open. There was a lot of interest in the B'nai Ephraim we spoke about a couple of weeks ago. I was surprised every time you see this Chazal. How did B'nai Ephraim get out of Mitzrayim? There were tens of thousands of them. And nobody ever escaped from Mitzrayim. So how did they get out? Some people wanted a Taina that they were royalty because they were from Yosef. So they had like diplomatic license plates and passports, which would answer Moshe Rabbeinu got out after he survived almost getting the sword on his head, he got out, but how did he get past the border? The answer is, he's Moshe Rabbeinu. That bothers me a lot. He was the prince. So he came to the border, and he said, okay, guys, can you move over? I'm on a mission. And he moved over. That's fine. How do you have 40,000 people? They were B'nai Ephraim. They weren't, Yosef was long gone already, unfortunately, and uh, Ephraim wasn't coming with them. The old Zayd didn't agree with this. And they have uh, 40,000 people going, excuse me, uh, gentlemen, where are you going? Oh, don't, don't pay attention to us. We're just uh, taking the fuel. Like, uh, how? So, it's a bit of, so they had, we discussed this, Akasha. They, they had an ace. They, they all got out. So you think an ace, Hashem's on their side. My conjecture is that Kosh uh, Baruch Hu was going to punish them, which he did, but not in front of the Mitzrayim. That would have been a bigger chil Hashem. So they got out. The question we left open is why did they leave and what were they thinking? So look at the copy in front of you. This is the Pasuk at Tehillim. Pasuk test. Tehillim, Ayin Ches, Pasuk test. B'nei Ephraim, Neshkei, Reimei, Keshes, Hafchubiyam, Kurov. So it's pretty sad. Look at Rashi. B'nei Ephraim, Shiatzim, Mitzrayim. And what were they thinking? Well, they left in great numbers and great strength. They're very talented. They didn't have the patience. They didn't wait. So what were they relying on? They were apparently very capable fighters. They were well armed. They got past the border with this. And that certainly gave them a boost that they were doing the right thing. And when the battle happened with the Plishtim later on, they were running and they lost badly and they got killed. And they were all wiped out. So Rashi tells us the problem here was a little bit of gaiva. They were royalty, they were well-trained, well-armed, and they didn't have the patience to wait for the Yad Hashem to the proper time. The, uh, the Metzudah is David over here, look and test. B'nei Ephraim, Ratzalaymer, Imki Ro, Asher B'nei Ephraim, Sha'al Ki Batru B'Kechem. They relied on their strength. They were well-armed. They rushed it. So he also highlights they relied, over-relied on their abilities, on their armaments. They rushed the kates. They felt, based on their calculations, this is the time. And they all got killed. The beginning of the Megillah is all about calculations that are not correct. And we're going to discuss it. 
And it's all about patience, as we just mentioned. Mordechai knew Esther's here, this bazaar. Like, why'd they take her? And she's such a sadekis. And it has to be the Yad Hashem, and we're going to find out momentarily. Momentarily, within give or take a decade or so. Most people would get down, depressed, and say, where's the Yad Hashem? Always asking kashas. The first thing is, you've got to wait. You've got to wait for the time. And you can't be overconfident that you have the answer. With that... I want to first walk everybody through some of the timelines. You're going to say you're not good at history, and um, nobody likes uh, dates and the like. But it's actually quite easy, and there's a fascinating mystery within the timelines, and I think the people here are more equipped to handle it than anybody else, because a lot of it is totally on everything we learned in the last month and a half in Malachan Beis. That's why I said it's the perfect connection between the two. So we'll start off by giving this out, if you can, to both sides. And as you're doing that, I will introduce it just in the five, ten minutes we have left, and then just make sure they come back because we're going to need them for next week. You're all familiar by now. You can probably rattle it off in your sleep. The last uh, three kings in Klai Yisrael. Yav Yoyokim. Go back three. Wasn't a very good guy. Um, was king for over a decade. A few years into his reign, Nebuchadnezzar came to town and took over the country. He was basically a puppet afterwards. And then he decided to rebel. Bad move. And Nebuchadnezzar came, had him arrested. And as he dragged him out, he was such a mafunic, he didn't even survive that. And that was the end of Yoyakim, unfortunately. What we didn't focus on when we were learning this in Malachim Beis, it wasn't a gay yet, but now I will, is that it wasn't just that Yehoyakim was captured. There was actually an entire Gullus called Gullus Yehoyakim, which means Nebuchadnezzar came, he attacked Yushalayim, he attacked the base of Metish, he actually went into the base of Metish and took out Kalim, took many people with him, took Yehoyakim, who died on the way, and the first wave of exiles was not Yehoyakim, it was Yehoyakim, and it's called Gullus Yehoyakim. That took place 18 years before the Horbin. Okay? I'm not going to throw too many numbers at you, but uh, if you hold on, we'll, we'll start it now, and we'll recap it next week, because I, I'm going to get to a couple of kashas and something very uh, amazing about the secret to how the Megillah opens up. So that's Gullus Yehoyakim. They took many people, took the Kalim, deposed the king. He was killed. Next king is Yechania, Yehoyachin, known as Yechania. He was king only for a few months. Nebuchadnezzar came back, decided he didn't trust him. If you remember, Yechania went with the whole family, hoping to talk to him and to discuss how to run the country. He was immediately arrested and taken to Bovel. As we mentioned last week, he spent 37 years in jail. I don't know how he survived for 37 minutes. Spent 37 years in jail until Nebuchadnezzar finally died after a long, long reign of almost a half a century. And Evo Moreidach, who was, uh, compared to his father, a half-decent guy. Yeah, I was on the way out. Yaakov told me, he says, Itaka saw a medrash that Ivan Merodach had a little on him because he himself was in jail in the next cell. So he knew what it felt like, which makes sense because his father put him in jail, if you remember, when he saw him the first time. So he was a little bit kinder to him. He took him after 37 years, respected him, gave him food, and made him the head over the other kings, as we saw at the end of Malachim Beis. That was the last Pasuk. So that's Golis Yechonia. Give or take, I'm dafka rounding it out because the years, years of kings, as you know from the Gemara Rosh Hashanah, always rounded off. It depends on which month you started. So let's say approximately eight years in. 
So 18 years before the Chorban was Golis Yoyakim, eight years later the Golis Yechanya. That's the more famous one because this is the Cherish Lamasker, which were the Tzmir He took the cream of the crop, the Sahedrin, Tzmir the young talent. In there was Daniel Hananya Meshova Azariah and somebody by the name of Mordechai Bilshan. I don't know if you ever heard of him. Very significant. And the Pusik in the Megillah tells you, we land it in the tune of Eicha, that he's the one who went with Golis Yechanya. He actually was one of the only two people who volunteered to go. He wasn't taken originally. But he saw that they were going, this chesed of Hashem, to set up the community. It was a tzara at the time, but Hashem took them approximately a decade before the Chorban, so that when they get to Bavl, there'll be an infrastructure and a community. As he spoke about, something which we didn't have the luxury of doing in America or in any other place in Europe when we were just leaving because of a pogrom. It was from one minute to the next, and they didn't know where they were going. So that's the start from scratch, which is a big disadvantage for organized from lifetime. And lifestyle, and they no, came to America. There were no yeshivas built, and no shuls, and it was. Uh, it took time to catch up, and was, Baruch Hashem, if you live now, we're catching up. Then they came, and everything was settled. That was Galus Yechanya, and all the tzaddikim that went. Then, approximately ten years later, was the Chorban. Okay, so eighteen years before Galus Yoyakim, approximately eight years later, give or take, Galus Yechanya, and then the Chorban called the Galus Tzitkiel. Each time, Nebuchadnezzar took people and Kalim from the base of Medish. You'll understand next week why I keep focusing on the Kalim. But each time he helped himself to some more gold and silver, why not? He's here and he's the conquering nation and uh, he thinks it's free. Nothing's free. He went to Ganon for the rest of his life afterwards. But that's Nebuchadnezzar. Okay, step number two. I assume you know this already. If you see somebody in the street, just uh, hopefully a little kid, ask him what was first. Perm or Hanukkah? <laughs> if they don't know the answer, please tell them, because that's kind of important. Hanukkah was in the middle of Bayashani, a uh, very different kufa, and we speak about Hanukkah. Last Hanukkah, maybe next Hanukkah, Perm was between Bayashrish and Bayashani. When I say between, it was closer to Bayashani, so close that Belshazzar, who is Evamurdach's son, the Vuchanetz's grandson, is watching one number, the same number everybody's watching. It's amazing how, as we said, we don't have Rosham the way they used to. The whole world's watching the Navua of Yermiel and Navi. Yermiel Navi said, you're coming back, the Kalim are coming back. Everything's coming back after 70 years. A magic number 70. This shouldn't be that difficult. You would think. 70. No, 70. So, figure it out. So, Belshazzar had a lot of wise men, mathematicians and and the like, and he's going to figure it out because he's watching the number 70 not because he's from, it's because he wants to see the demise of Klai Yisrael, which is never going to happen, but he didn't know that. And he's going to have a big, wild party when they're not going back, and he's banking on the fact they're not going to go back. So he wanted to see the Nevoah foiled. So he gets his wise men, sets it up, and they have their Excel spreadsheet, and they're working on it, and he said, this is the number. As a matter of fact, he didn't take any risks, and as he's figuring out the number... He told his guys, he says, do me a favor. This might be a little dangerous because the God of Israel has been known to punish people. So why don't you round up just to make sure? Well, apparently they didn't round up enough. Um, that's the simple answer right now, but we'll get to uh, some other possibilities. And as you know from Daniel, he threw a big party uh, at night when he realized, or he thought he realized, that 70 years passed and they're still here which means they're not going back, which means Hashem forgot about them, Rahman al He didn't say Rahman al though. He was celebrating. 
And, um, and therefore, we're going to celebrate. Okay, well, that celebration didn't last too long. He took out the candle of the day, the meat dish, which just sounds familiar. And he, um, this is the middle of the night, and uh, I'm sure they had nice bright torches and the fluorescent lights and other things there, but it's pretty spooky in the middle of the night in ancient times. And all of a sudden, there was writing on the wall, hence the expression, the writing on the wall. This is where it came from, Daniel, no other source. And um, it's scary enough to see writing on the wall. It's even more scary when you have a hand that's detached from a body writing on the wall. And that wasn't lost on Balshatzer, nor was it lost on anybody else. And all of a sudden, there's like, wild party can get pretty loud. That's why it's wild. And all of a sudden, there was dead silence. And they're watching the hand right on the wall, and there's only one thing more unnerving about a hand that's not attached to anything writing on a wall is after it finishes writing, you're trying to decipher it, and nobody knows what in the world it says. But you know it says something coherent, because why would there be a hand there writing it if it wasn't the message? And Belshazzar was smart enough to know the message is probably for him. And as we know from Daniel, they ended up calling the wise men, the other wise men, nobody could figure it out. And uh, they called Daniel, who was the wisest of all the wise, and they figured uh, probably has something to do with the Jews, Michaelim, and probably not great news, but why don't we find out? And Daniel came in, he asked other Jewish Chachamim, it's written in Ksav Ashuris, which is the block print on your page, which we all know how to read. Ksav Ashuris then, nobody knew how to read except for the Gedele Adar, because they were using Ksav Ivri. If you ever saw Ksav Ivri print? I, you look at a chart of it, uh, the two don't look like anything remotely similar. I couldn't read it. You need a chart, a conversion chart. So the Jews, by and large, knew Ksav Ivri, and the Goyim also knew it from the Jews. Ksav Ashur is nobody really knew. Daniel knew it. So he came in, and he started reading it. He also knew that it was written in code. It wasn't as he read across, as he read down. The different sheets in the Gemara, it was all encoded, and Daniel knew the answer. And he said, Your Highness, I have, normally I like saying good news and other news, but there was no good news over here. I guess the good news is the Klai Yisrael. Uh, the news, Your Highness, is that Kosh um, looked at your mitzvahs and Averis and wages Husim, and you're severely lacking, like zero. And, um, and uh, you're uh, basically finished. Uh, that's the short version. We're not learning Daniel now, but... Uh, Basically finished. Uh, he was not very happy to hear that, but he didn't have much time to start sitting shiva on himself because uh, within the hour, the whole empire was overrun by Paris and Madai. <laughs> and you couldn't, like, have such a change in the world. This like a major... This empire, by the way, Bubble, was around for thousands of years. You know who started it? Very famous person, also not, not from the biggest humble people that ever walked the face of the earth. Anybody know his name? What? Nimrod. That's a long-lasting malchus, very long-lasting. So this is quite a change. And all of a sudden, they're overrun by Paras Amadai. Pashasar is killed, and Paras Amadai take over, and they had a shared agreement, something I hope unlike a joint unity government. I don't even want to use that. Uh, but they had a deal that uh, Paras Amadai, the peoples, you're going to be king, and then I'll be king, and... So the first one was a Dayavash. Dayavash, don't get too confused, but Dayavash is like Pyro. It gets confusing. So we'll just call him Dayavash the first. Uh, he was king for about a year, give or take a few months here and there. And then that was Madai. And then Paras, which is sound familiar, we're getting into the Megillah. They had a nice guy called Kirish, which is also a confusing name. A lot of these names became names for kings. If you want to be a good emperor, you call yourself Kirish. It sounds good just for advertising. 
but this Kairish was actually a very nice guy. And next week, we're going to see, he actually is going to take the Navu of Yermia very seriously. And he decides, and he's right, that he should be telling Klai so they can go back and rebuild the base of Mekdash. Because it's 70 years, and Belshazzar are really bashed it up. Because it wasn't 70 years yet, and he was wrong. He clearly was wrong. And Kairish said, well, now we got it. And he's going to send them all back. Of course, that leaves everybody here wondering, well, that's interesting. If they went back... Uh, a couple of years later, Ahasuerus is king, and he's making another crazy party, celebrating the Jews aren't going back, even though they did, but he's celebrating anyway. So that's obviously Akasha that we're going to have to deal with, and Mr. Shem, we will start looking at that next week. Have a good rock. We never got to what I handed out.